2: This is your host Herb Cohen, with my co-host David Kunzman, Pretoria Law, Tom McBride, Cressa, Fred Ostivar, Nova Advertising, and Les Small and Vistage. Les, can you give us a rundown on who we have on the air today, please?
3: Sure. We have Alan Pence, CEO of Corner Alliance. Fred Ostivar, managing partner at Nova Advertising. Chad Vossen, co-founder and chief creative officer at Five Twenty Two Productions, and Tiffany Fraser, founding member. Apogee Research. Let's get to our first guest, Alan Pence, CEO
2: of Corner Alliance. Alan, what is Corner Alliance? What do you guys do?
1: Sure, yeah, we are a federally focused uh, consulting firm. We help agencies, particularly R&D agencies, uh, improve national competitiveness and mm-hmm. access innovation. And how
2: large or how small is this organization?
1: We're just under 50 employees right and now. And how'd you get a job with it? I co-founded it.
2: And where are you from originally?
1: I uh, uh, Philadelphia, suburb of Philadelphia, and how many brothers
2: and sisters? I have two <coughs> older brothers. And what was the effect of you growing up with two older brothers?
1: Well, I think growing up with two older brothers turned me into a uh, justice seeker and a overturner of the status quo.
2: Uh, didn't you tell me you were famous for a quote which was something along the lines of "I know my rights" or something yeah, like so that? Yes, that was
1: an important advocacy point for me. I was I was known for uh, when I was under duress from my brothers for saying "I know my rights."
2: And, and you mentioned that you like to change the existing order. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, I think translated from my childhood, uh, the existing order was uh, my brothers being in charge. So I, I wanted to overturn that and uh, have some say. Mm-hmm. All right. You wanted to make sense. Tom, what do, what do you got? What was your childhood like with your two brothers? Uh, it, was, it was a good childhood. I mean, obviously I had to fight for my rights, but uh, I was able to establish them and, uh, and uh, had, a, had a good upbringing.
4: And your relationship now with your brothers, Are you guys Pre-
5: still friends pretty close, actually.
1: I'm going on a skiing trip with one of them uh, in a couple of weeks, and um, mm-hmm. my other brother, I see. He he lives in England, but I see him frequently. Talk for
4: and uh, and mom and dad. How was your relationship with your mom and your dad? Good, yeah. My parents li- still live in
1: Philadelphia. So. so, what was the driver to start Corner Alliance? Uh, Really, I think I needed a place uh, where I could work, and so it took me a few years uh, to realize that everybody else above me didn't know that much more than I did, so finally I had to overturn that status quo and start my own company.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. What was going on with you about books? You mentioned when you were a kid that in school, if you were assigned to read a certain book or a story, Uh, you would do something a little bit different. What was that all about? Yeah, I
1: think I was a relatively average student for most of my career, and a lot of that had to do with uh, not following the system in school. So um, I wouldn't read the books assigned to me. I would probably read books that were related, but ones that I chose. So... Um, I've always been intellectually curious and uh, learned quite a bit that way, mm-hmm. but uh, always did it the hard way by not <laughs> following well, you, the
6: rules. Well
2: you were cutting out your own turf. David?
1: Um, your
6: alternative uh, education path that you, you described and you, s- you uh, indicated earlier, you two teachers who really uh, inspired you in that regard, uh, Mr. Shakespeare and Mr. Ely. If you talk about their mentorship.
1: Yeah, I was lucky enough to go to... Um, a friend's school outside of um, Philadelphia where they, uh, and it's private school, so they employed some people without traditional teaching backgrounds. So I had two teachers, one Russian, Clint Ely, and um, Edward Shakespeare taught uh, English, uh, all of, all, of all things. Um, and they really inspired me um, by having this non-traditional background and kind of took a non-traditional approach to teaching. Mm. Mm hmm.
6: That gave you some nurturing. And, and you, h- how do you employ that today with your employees?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I found kindred souls in them when I was younger. And for uh, a teenager, that's a really important thing. And I think I try to create corner alliance for two, two sets of people. One is I try to create the opportunity for people who are like me who want to change things and seize their own, um, you know, their own mission. Um, we our our slogan is where your mission matters, um, but also create the structure that other people who don't necessarily. I, I had learned that the hard way over time too. Not everybody's like me, right? Some people want some structure, so allowing those people as well to learn and, and grow. Mm-hmm. Fred, Alan. what type of people inspire you the most? Uh, I really love people who have spent some time thinking about whatever it is their subject is and really looking for a deeper truth beyond what sort of the obvious. Um, what um, do you mean by the deeper truth? Yeah, I, I tend to follow people, several, um, you know, I can think of whose books I've read or I've corresponded with, and they tend to be people who've really studied their profession and gathered the data that's in front of them um, and, and Come up with sort of here. Here's what I'm seeing based on that. That I'm seeing through what the standard kind of line is.
2: So, so when um, you talk about the deeper truth, you're talking about people that really have their own vision.
1: That's right. So for instance, uh, we work with a company called Crabtree uh, Consulting. He was an accountant who got uh, said, you know, I'm tired of doing people's tax returns. Here's what's actually happening in your business, and simplified the entire system. Down to something that entrepreneurs could use to actually run their company. So that's the kind of thing I, I so attracted you, you,
2: to. you like people that help make things that had their own vision to help make things simple to see things in right. a special so way. So they
1: overturn the status quo in order to simplify things to find a better way to do it.
2: Which is what you were doing in your childhood, of course. Yes. Uh huh. Lester.
3: Yeah, uh, what was dad doing and what was Ma- were mom doing back then?
1: So my father was a corporate attorney and my mom was a uh, middle school librarian.
3: And, and what uh, from your dad do you take and use today?
1: Uh, so from my dad, he was a big history buff, had been studying for a history PhD before he we went into law. So I really got the history, led to political science, which got me into government. And, and obviously I'm working with federal agencies now, so I've always been around that sort of world. And what about mom? My mother, uh, so I think from a standpoint of social intelligence, my mother, I remember distinctly when we would go out to dinner, my mother would always be looking at other tables, wondering what the story of those people at that table was. And we'd speculate about what, what that was. And um, that's something, that ability to read people and, and uh, take cues from them. That's something I've always um, kept with me. How does it show up on. now? Yeah. So I think, well, you know, obviously I'm in a relationship based business, every business is. Um, So reading and understanding clients, being able to take cues and figure out where they want to go or what they need. Um, I think it also translates to employees. But you know, I think over time, I thought everybody was like me and wanted the same thing. And I learned over time that some people do and some people don't. So you have to read those people and know what what to get what to give them to make them the most effective they can be.
2: Huh? I didn't realize the CEO needed such people skills. That's interesting.
1: That's that's the number one uh, qualification, I think.
2: Because you have to pick up clients and you got to build the team.
1: Well, I think if you're a small, very small company and it's you and a couple other people, then you can do the work. But once you get beyond you know a few people 10 people a few clients you really can't do the work anymore so all you can do is work through other people
4: Thomas what do you think what of? would you attach the success of Corner Alliance to You obviously you started off company it's now 50 employees
1: yeah, I think it is the ability to uh, attract and retain um, the kind of people who are inspired by the culture we create. So, as I said, you know, we have some of those people who are really revolutionary thinkers who want to overturn the status quo and follow their own rules. Uh, but we've also been able to build processes and um and other ways of training people so that they can build their careers with us.
4: When you were growing up, who was the revolutionary in the household, was your mom or your dad? Because y- there's this equilibrium of being a, you know, a contrarian, but then the stability of having somebody to keep it in line and, and sort of dial those impulses back, how did that play out as a I, kid? I,
1: I think I was the revolutionary, there was only one, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So every, everybody else is probably mediating around the edges. <laughs> but, uh. mm-hmm.
2: David, what else are you thinking? Um, or Fred, what do you want You guys got?
3: Yeah. Why books? Of, of all the media you, you, you could gravitate towards, why books? What was it about books that actually resonated with you? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, when I was a child, there wasn't all the media we have now. But um, and a teenager, but uh, I think you know that's a place where somebody has to put in deep thought. As I was saying, what I'm the kind of thinkers I'm attracted to. They have to do a level of analysis in order to fill out the book, and if they haven't, you can kind of tell in the second chapter. So right? that's what attracts you to yeah. it. Yeah, it's a deep thought, that a systematic way of looking at the world to simplify it. Right.
2: Hmm. So you, you, you enjoy deep study. I do, yeah. Deep study and then the analysis and then forming an, it's, it's an opinion – the sake of an opinion isn't much value it's exactly. where somebody's really studied something
1: exactly I call, I call it you know I, uh, Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger had a great quote about being a learning machine and that's what I've always sort of considered myself and inspired to what do you, what do you mean what are you talking about <laughs> So the ability to find in a, in a field, say like accounting or you know, wh- what you have to deal with um, as an entrepreneur, um, to find the people who have done that deep analysis and have really put together a more, they've, they've figured out what the key things are and simplified them down. That's that's what I'm really looking for. Uh,
2: give me that again. There was a lot of wisdom in that. Give me give me that one
1: more time. Sure. In any field, uh, you know, I, I think about it through service providers that I hire, right? Lawyers, accountants, financial consultants, HR, recruiting. Um, you want to find the person that's really done the thoughtful analysis. They don't just do their job. They've thought about how their industry works and broken it down into a simple set of, of understandings or, or analytical framework. That mm-hmm. then, um, you know, that's the thing that what, attracts what's me. The, what's, what's your website address? Uh, corneralliance.com. We've
2: been speaking with Alan Penn, CEO of Corner Alliance, here on Executive Leaders Radio. We mac right after this business spotlight. And your name and organization is
7: Lou Crenshaw is Crenshaw Consulting Associates.
2: And Lou, what kind of stuff do you guys do?
7: Well, we help small businesses get into new markets, typically in the defense space.
2: And where are you from originally?
7: Grew up in Greenville, Alabama.
2: And what was going on with you eight to fourteen years old?
7: Uh, Constantly being told, unless I got ahead and got out of town, I would be in the Army and go to Vietnam.
2: So what ended up happening?
7: <laughs> I went to the Navy, uh-huh. and I didn't go to Vietnam.
2: So you learned at a young age, that you, had a, you really had to go create opportunity for yourself.
7: Absolutely. From, from day one, I had to figure out, there were a lot of people telling me what I couldn't do, and I discovered doing that is probably the best thing for someone.
2: Well, isn't that what you do for a living is you, you you found opportunity for yourself. You're finding opportunity for other people. Isn't that exactly what you're doing for your
7: clients? That's exactly right. That's Ta- what we spend our time doing.
2: Tell us a little bit more about that. What do you mean?
7: Well, uh, I'm lucky enough to have been on both sides of the aisle in terms of being in the government and then in the commercial sector. So I can bring those together, and I really enjoy uh, imparting into my customers what uh, what the government's thinking or or imparting to the government what my customers are thinking.
2: So you're able, you're like the bridge. You know, you're helping folks on both sides understand what everybody else is thinking to create opportunities for everyone. It's the same stuff you were thinking back when you were a kid. It sounds absolutely.
7: Like. I'm a translator.
2: Uh, what do you mean by that?
7: Well, uh, particularly in the Department of Defense, they have their own jargon, and, and it amazes me how uh, companies that do business with the department don't understand the workings of the department.
2: That's fascinating. What's the website address of your organization, uh, Crenshaw Consulting Associates?
7: It's cca-va.com. Let me have that one more time: cca-va.com.
2: We've been speaking with Lou Crenshaw, founder and president of Crenshaw Consulting Associates here on Executive Leaders Radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota
5: Hotels and Resorts.
2: And what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special?
5: Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? Um, The conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh Uh-huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager and I have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? make sure I have a, make sure eight executive community members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their daily jobs.
2: So how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis or daily basis or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a
5: weekly basis on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. Wow! And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh huh. W- what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients because they're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business, and at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings and such.
2: So you're, you're, well you're running a 24-by-7 facility, aren't you? We are.
5: Uh-huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again conference center.com and your name again is jeff lawson and the name of the organization lakota hotels and resorts and this has been your business spotlight
2: we're back you're listening to executive Leaders radio this is your host herb cohen we'd like to introduce fred ostivar managing partner of nova advertising fred what is nova advertising what are you guys doing
8: we are a digital marketing firm in fairfax virginia serving small medium-sized businesses in the dc metro region and how large
2: or how small is the team
8: We are a team of 11 people. Uh Uh-huh. Where are you
2: from originally?
8: Originally from Shiraz, Iran. Ah, and
2: uh, how young were you when you came to the United States? 14 years old. And any brothers
8: or sisters? I have two brothers, younger brothers. They're twins.
2: So you came to the United States, I assume, with your parents and your twin younger brothers when you were about 14. And uh, what was the effect of you coming to the United States with two twin younger brothers and all that other stuff? What was going on?
8: Well, um, when we moved here, t- uh, it was a bit of an ex- unexpected move, so it was very sudden. What do you mean it was an
2: unexpected move?
8: Um, well, we were put in a situation where we had to leave the country quickly. and um Why? <laughs> well, uh, various reasons, uh, but uh, some political reasons where we had to leave the country.
2: You had to leave the country, but you were able to take, you know, all your stuff with you and any money that you had accumulated, right?
8: Um, no, we actually ended up uh, losing pretty much uh, all of our life savings and most of what we had accumulated over the years. What
2: did my, what were mom and dad doing for a living in Iran?
8: Um, they ran a small uh, boutique of women's clothing.
2: So you came to the United States and what happened to your role in the family?
8: Well, um, since we uh, weren't really doing so well financially, and I was actually excited to kind of get out there, uh, we all had to uh, start working. So I started uh, looking for a job and um, found one immediately.
2: You had had twin brothers, right? Correct. Uh What was your role with the twin brothers?
8: Well, uh, they are uh, fraternal mirror twins, uh, so they're kind of opposite of each other, especially on their personalities. So they used to get into a lot of uh, fights, and I was uh, a lot of times the mediator uh, between them, and I was the one that had to kind of keep them in track and uh, take care of them. So
2: if they got if if something happened in the family, uh, what was your did you get blamed for it?
8: A lot of times, yes, because my parents were out working most of the time, and um, I was put in charge of them, so (laughs) I had full responsibility of what happened. Mm -hmm.
2: David, you're a um, a well-established, well-known attorney with uh, this law firm, Peturi Law, and uh, you you know something about the Iranian culture. What was that you were bringing up earlier?
6: Uh, Yes, uh, America's been blessed with a a lot of wonderful Iranian Americans, uh, particularly in the D.C. area, Um, and what I've observed over the years working with Iranian Americans and his friends is they're consummate entrepreneurs and have great traditional hospitality which is always very beneficial in business so um, you uh, grew up in an entrepreneurial family uh, yes. and there's a great tradition of entrepreneurship and you also mentioned earlier you have a business partner who really helped inspire you as an entrepreneur and, and grow your business if you could talk about that
8: Absolutely. So one of the things that I enjoy the most about uh, what I do is I get to work with uh, two of my best friends who are my business partners and uh, we started the company together back in 2009 and uh, it's a true joy and inspiration to, you know, come to work every day and really enjoy what I do with the, the people that I really look up to.
6: And it, it also how do you integrate that same uh, camaraderie, if you will, to your employees?
8: Um, we have a very uh, tight-knit uh, group of uh, employees. Uh, our employees are obviously our biggest asset, so uh, we uh, give them a, a lot of freedom and uh, expressing their ideas, and uh, it's really it doesn't feel like a work environment. We all have a very friendly, uh, nice relationship uh, while we're at work.
4: Thomas? Fred, coming over to the U.S., starting over, obviously a, a challenging sort of life-changing experience for you. What did you take from that experience that has this helped you in running and managing your advertising firm?
8: So um, coming from an entrepreneurial uh, family I've always I feel like I've always had that in my genes to you know be an entrepreneur and run a business. however, um, obviously uh, having no experience in running a business when I when we started this was you know probably the biggest challenge. Um, We, you know, compared to when I moved here to the States, it was brand new environment, uh, brand new business language, a lot of obstacles to overcome and a lot of uh, uh, bringing people together and mediating things. So uh, similar experiences and at the same time, very different. Some feeling to be more uh, more heavy
4: and and difficult and maybe maneuvering the business ones to be even easier? Did it give you sort of a perspective on within the business world about what mattered and what doesn't matter as much?
8: Absolutely, yes. Uh, the, the, the understanding the opportunities that are available to you out here where they're not in many other places where I come from is a huge inspiration for me.
3: What did What did you learn about yourself having to go through what you went through, meaning come from another country your father and mom have to start all over again you don't know the language they don't know the language you don't even know the rules for how things work and here it is you show up and you're given a chance to either fall flat on your face or make something of it what you learn about yourself in that process
8: well it it really t- you know toughens you up it, it makes you realize that um when you're given an opportunity that you really need to take it and run with it. So Did you see it as an opportunity? Absolutely, that's, that's why, that's the only reason I'm here. Wait,
2: wait, 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 give me that again?
8: Having the opportunity to do what I love and enjoy and uh, making something out of myself is really the main inspiration for me to be here.
1: Are your parents
2: uh, still around nowadays? Yes. Uh-huh. Are they aware of uh, what you're doing? Yes. Have they been to your office?
8: Absolutely. How do you think they feel? I hope they're proud of me.
2: <laughs> do you think they are?
8: I think so. Why? Um, uh, because I, uh, against against all odds, uh, you know, we've, I've, I've made it to. I, I've I've made uh, made the goal that I that I that I'd set for myself so far, and uh, become a success in my book. What do you mean? Well, um, having uh, run at a successful business, um, doing something that I enjoy doing. Uh, To me, that's, you know, that's a success.
2: What did you learn coming from Iran with nothing to the United States that's helped you build this business?
8: Well, um, I've learned that, again, opportunities are far and few in between. And if you're given one, you should really take full advantage of it and don't take it for granted.
2: David, what else am I missing? I mean, you, you you seem to be pretty aware of the Iranian community and what's been going on. What what else am I missing? What else should we be asking Fred that I'm missing?
6: Um, with within your own com- within your own community, Iranian um, American, your extended family, um, what support did you get to get you off the ground in, in your business? um that's a great question
8: um, actually the, our, our very first few clients that we worked with because we actually have a niche in at medical and dental marketing were iranian american doctors uh, who gave us that opportunity and opened up a lot of doors for us so i'm definitely forever thankful and indebted with them
0: tom
2: why are you smiling what you, what's going on Europe? Well, i'm just
4: thinking of my friend who's an iranian uh, dentist and i'm thinking oh they're probably <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> up the streets uh small world where's the future of the of the platform going you
8: Well, uh, we're in a uh, in a uh, type of space in the digital world where it's constantly growing and ever changing, and uh, um, so the opportunities are endless. So, but as long as we keep up with it, uh, I think one of the biggest things that sets us apart from other companies, um, which I talked to Herb about earlier, is really uh, the fact that we uh, show results to our clients. We track performance. And it's not just about, uh, you know, telling them what we do and why we're great. We actually show them the results and uh, show them the, the return on investment.
2: Mm-hmm. David, why, why do you think the Iranian communities embrace Pretori law?
6: Is um, I think we um, have a very uh, relationship view. And I mm-hmm. think it takes a lot of uh, uh, kind of... It Trusted, devoted over time, developed Mm -hmm. over a great deal of time.
2: Interesting. I just wanted to make sure I understood that. Um, And Fred, you mentioned that um, you like track earlier. You mentioned you like tracking the results of your advertising, but that's not normal for an advertising firm. But you like doing it because it, it holds you accountable. Somebody can say something didn't work. Absolutely. Yeah,
8: but. Um, so in, in our in our uh, line of work when it comes to advertising digital marketing there's a lot of uh, noise and, and pollution and a, a lot of people promising you making empty promises so the way that we're able to set ourselves apart from our competitors is showing proven results and um, once we start working with them they see you know uh, how we track and and. Uh, Report on, the, on Boy, their Well, you're, you're all about
2: responsibility, just like your parents held you responsible for your younger brothers. You're doing that to yourself with your clients. What's the website address for Nova, Nova Advertising?
8: It's NovaAdvertising.com. Let me have that one more time NovaAdvertising.com.
2: We've been speaking with Fred Osterloar, Managing Partner of Nova Advertising, here on Executive Leaders Radio. We'll be back right after this break. one help building your business with help from the show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues. Because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business uncover new opportunities grow your sales connect you help you raise money all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars and some are available to advise you now Email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name is? Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loud and Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some something special about the Loud and Free Clinic where every
9: dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care.
2: And what kind of clinic is this? Who are you you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do?
9: So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a, a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver, you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients.
2: Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of healthcare down
9: and therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of the the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And
2: didn't, ah, interesting. So private businesses and individuals
9: can get involved. And didn't you tell me
2: you had a couple of healthcare challenges yourself, what were they?
9: I have, I've had four open heart surgeries and Mm -hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about, what do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What did you you
2: learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't?
9: I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, Mm -hmm. parents, Mm -hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me, and consistently offering me hope, uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudoun Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N, freeclinic.org. We've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your Business Spotlight. Thank you.
2: We're back, you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Rob Cohen. We'd like to introduce Chad Vossen, Co-founder and chief creative officer of 522 Productions. What is 522 Productions, Chad?
10: Uh, our mission is to rid the world of cheesy corporate videos.
2: Hmm. All right. How large or how small is this team? Uh, we're 14 deep. And how'd you get a job with it? I co-founded it. Where are you from originally? Long Island. Lester.
10: <laughs> mom and dad, what were they doing? Uh, my dad was an industrial reseller, and my mom uh, took care of my sister and I.
3: And did you go to work with dad at all?
10: I did. I went to work with my dad when I was about, yeah, starting around and 12. And what did he have you doing? Uh, he had me uh, helping him out with uh, separating invoices. What do you mean? Uh, well, he used to have me organize them into groups, you know, based on, you know, whatever the organization's title was. So what was a
3: unique thing that came out of that for you?
10: Uh, I just remember, you know, when I was sorting the invoices, looking at the company's logo and how the invoices were put together, and I just instantly formed an opinion of what those companies were. I had no idea who they were, McMaster Car, and all these other random uh, companies, but I instantly had an opinion of of how they presented themselves.
3: So what did you learn about yourself then that actually shows up in how you lead your organization today?
10: uh that um opinions matter you know you want to put your best foot forward and uh you know right from there it's you know just from something as simple as an invoice how you present yourself uh to the world is is vitally important especially in business just
4: mm-hmm. where did you get this uh sense of aesthetic uh of positioning of
10: an uh, order from the design perspective probably uh from my mom and my grandmother were both artists and my sister's uh designs book covers and what type of artists uh my mom and grandmother both did pastels my sister uh more digital uh, w- uh were they good i mean how do you know that, 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 that they were? Good? yes they were uh they're really good uh we had you know uh pastels of my of both my grandmothers and my mom in our house and people would always comment on you know how
4: amazing in real life they looked so they were a barometer of of taste yes definitely yeah you, that you grew to understand yep w- what was it what is it about you said the world of corporate cheesy videos what is it about the corporate promotional video that made you decide it was the battle that you wanted to fight
10: uh, uh, i mean you've all seen them you're sitting in a courtroom and you're getting some video of somebody you know uh, telling you what to do and how to do it or you know instructional video or some corporations trying to you know uh, you know broadcast their mission and if it's not good if it's not effective and if you can't do it well and nobody wants to actually see it then what's the point of doing it? Uh, you know, and I think there's just a lot of terrible uh, corporate videos out there. The, the landscape's gotten a lot better,
4: uh, but there's still a ton of bad videos. And you all, you've all, you been doing this for how many years? 15 years. So uh, you were saying earlier in the green room about ha- having an experience with the digital and a sort of an early viral uh, success. Can you shed a little bit more light on that?
10: Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah, I guess I was talking about when I was in uh, middle school. I had to do a report on radon. Is that the one you're? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we had uh, to do a report on radon, and um, you know that's a pretty you know mundane topic. So uh, I wanted to make it as interesting as possible, and I took the scene from Return of the Jedi where Yoda dies and I just basically had Yoda do the report to Luke and he's like, look man, I built my house on top of a radon field and I'm dying because of this. And I just, that was sort of my shtick.
4: And it was successful?
10: Uh, Yes. uh, My health uh, health teacher shared it to all of her other classrooms. This was in like the early 90s and it was my first uh, experience of something going viral because I had people I'd never seen in my high school uh... coming up to me telling me about like what was that video that was amazing and she took it to some health conference in texas and unfortunately i lost a copy of that because she never gave it back
6: (laughs) what did you learn from that experience
10: that uh, if you you can take the mundane and make it interesting Uh, it's radon poisoning is not exactly a very you know fascinating subject matter and you know you got to think about who your audience is I was you know making it basically for my classmates trying to make uh, a report interesting my teacher had to Grade a bunch of you know reports that I'm sure were terrible by seventh eighth grade standards, and you know I wanted to make something that was interesting and yeah. relevant.
6: How have you? How do you then impact that same thinking into your your team, your creative team?
10: Yeah, I mean it's 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 way we approach almost every video. Um, you know, no matter you know obviously we're always looking for story and story matters and how you present it. You know, who are you talking to, and and, and what do you need to say?
2: Thomas, what are you thinking? Well, so you
10: go back
4: to your dad. Your your dad did what? Uh, industrial reselling. Industrial reselling. And so that, that's sort of a uh, hard hard industry to get your your arms around, but it yeah. was really you were describing it as what? Putting together?
10: Yeah. So, you know, he would get orders from Northrop Grumman. I need, you know, and a, I'm going to guess like 10,000 hammers or whatever. Uh, and it was it's a really kind of niche market. But the thing I took away from that was I had no idea how he was getting these orders or where they were coming from but uh, you know, over time I realized that it was all about the relationships that he built.
4: And also you had said something about it, it didn't seem to be glamorous to the degree of these different parts that you were pulling in together it was sort of a battle that was under the radar a little bit right? Solving a solution that when you were at that age you didn't necessarily know what the, the bigger picture yeah, was Yeah I mean for. it was
10: interesting people would call him because he could figure it out uh, he knew where to get this or that and he had the relationships and the, and, and the connections and would didn't matter what the problem was that you know folks approached him with he would figure it out and how to solve it
2: david what else are you thinking
6: um you've got a lot of creative people Mm -hmm. how how do you manage them (laughs) i don't okay so um (laughs) was was there a mentor that helped you evolve in managing creative people
10: sure we um I think probably the most direct thing was when we implemented the EOS system, uh, you know, with our uh, implementer, Randy Taussig. And he helped us just sort of, you know, come up with the operating system to, you know, to try to help people, um, you know, to uh, establish Mm -hmm. accountability
8: in the organization. Fred? 522 Productions. What does the name 522
2: (laughs) Yeah, why is it called 522?
8: Uh, We used to work from 9 to 5,
10: you know, in our day job, and then I would come home and work from 5 to 2 in the morning. So 522
2: okay now we understand there you go
8: and um in your title you're the co-founder of the company and also the chief creative officer Mm -hmm. um how do you balance the creative side with the you know running the day-to-day operations of the business and what's your biggest challenge in between the two
10: Uh, yeah i mean it's i think there's creativity in all of it you know in managing people and managing clients and and things of that nature and i think you have to approach each uh, situation with a unique perspective, you know, each employee, each person, you know, understand who they are, what their issues are, uh, and each project, each client with, you know, with the same mindset.
3: There's a risk in being different. So where does the confidence come in doing what you do? And when did that show up as a kid?
10: Oh, what is, Uh, I don't know, I guess I I just trust my gut, I guess, you know, if I see something, I don't like it, I was pretty vocal (laughs) about it. Uh, not always to the best results.
3: But who encouraged it?
10: Me, uh, I would say. Um, my parents are too nice, uh <laughs> um, and I just—I uh, guess you know. When it, from that perspective, I was just always pretty vocal, and you know, kind of uh,
2: vocal you know. about what. Uh,
10: if I saw some I didn't like it, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. So it's style. Sure. Or, wh-
2: what I, or what is it? What, what is it that you have an opinion about? Everything. What do you mean?
10: Um, it bothers me when I see, you know... Uh, oh, God, how am I going to phrase this appropriately? But... If somebody you know um, comes to us with a problem or solution, and you know we feel com- comfortable and confident in knowing, like, hey, this is how we should approach this problem. This is how we approach this issue. We've seen it before. We have experience. And when we get pushback on that, you know, it's it's frustrating. Um, and you know, cause you really
2: do have opinions. You're not trying to sell somebody something. You're really trying to deliver to them what you're feeling. True. Yes. Lester, why are you relating to this? Why are you shaking your head? Yes.
3: Because <laughs> I think you know. There's a Look, you take a risk when you're actually uh, trying to do things differently than what the norm is. And, and you did that at an early age, got validated with this viral video, though you didn't ask for that. No. <laughs> um,
6: but
2: I think what was fascinating when he was 11 years old and working with his dad with his invoices, he knew which logos he liked and which logos he didn't like. The sense of style was showing up as a young, at a young
3: age. Yeah, my, uh, that, that ability is there, the confidence to do something with it.
2: Ah, the confidence to do some. Now I see what you're bringing out. So that's why. Hmm. So, Chad, when a client tells you that they want to do something differently than you think they should, what do you do?
10: I've learned. Uh <laughs> 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 I that definitely express face. myself once, twice, and the third time. It's like, okay, I get it. You know, especially when you're dealing with, uh, well, in this city, uh, when you're there's layers. Uh, yeah, but makes we'll you definitely sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we see something we don't like, we'll say something.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what's the uh, what's the website address for this 522 Productions?
10: It's 522productions.com. And what's
2: the reason? That, why, why is it called 522 Productions again?
10: <laughs> <laughs> we used to work from 9 to 5, and we would freelance from 5 to 2 in the morning when we first got started.
2: Ah, so you really know what it's like. Let me have the website address one last time.
10: 522productions.com.
2: And we've been speaking with Chad Vossen, co-founder and chief creative officer of 522 Productions here on Executive Leaders Radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this Business Spotlight.
11: I'm Tina Leone, I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District.
2: And what is the Boston Business Improvement District?
11: We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet. The first satellite. All were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston.
2: How, how old is this organization?
11: We're just, just shy of six years old.
2: How long have you been there? Have you been uh,
11: almost six years as well.
2: Did you found this organization?
11: Yes, I, I am the founding CEO.
2: Why did you do that?
11: Well, the the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners why, in Boston.
2: Why does it turn you on? Why is your gig turn you on?
11: <laughs> people. I mean, we the 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 ability to connect people, and then who knows. The the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington DC area and Bolson is as I said the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So
2: your job, you're like the master connector.
11: I feel like the mayor of of Bolson the mayor of innovation because that's uh-huh. what's happening.
2: So your idea your thought is that in order to create more stuff in order to launch more businesses in order to cause more good it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people.
11: Exactly. And
2: you like being in the middle of all that stuff. Oh, we
11: love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art. Uh, through a happy hour, mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm-hmm. That's what's exciting.
2: So it's all about the people, and you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine to five kind of job oh, for hell
11: you? No, it's a lot longer uh-huh. than that, baby. So
2: do you have to do you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, it's organization.
11: Bostonbid.com, and, and you can download the Boston Connect mobile app.
2: Let me have uh, let me have that website address so one more time.
11: Bostonbid.com.
2: It's B-A, give me the spelling on that.
11: B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. And your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Balsam Business Improvement District.
2: And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money. All the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with a leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Tiffany Frazier, a founding member of Apogee Research. Tiffany, what is Apogee Research? What are you guys doing?
12: We do advanced research and software development in computer security and systems technology for the Defense Department.
2: Excellent. How large or how small is this organization?
12: Uh, We are 30 people.
2: And how did you get a job with this company?
12: I co-founded it.
2: And where are you from originally?
12: I'm originally from Madison, Wisconsin. How
2: many brothers and sisters?
12: I'm an only child.
2: And what makes an only child special?
12: Uh, we have to fend for ourselves.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm, you have to fend for yourselves. Well, did you grow up in a fancy dancing neighborhood?
12: Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> what do you mean? Um, uh, my dad was in Nam at a very young age, came back, we're on the GI Bill, and my parents went back to college because they dropped out. And so we were living in what technically was projects if we really had that in Madison.
2: Uh huh. And you were aware of this because your friends were wearing really fancy clothes and nice cars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How'd that make you feel?
12: Um, fine, actually. I never really had a had a problem with it, but there weren't you know they were all a long ways away and kind of lived in different worlds.
2: So you, as opposed to feeling resentful or anything, it, it, that that's where you had to go fend for yourself came from. You were taking responsibility as opposed to feeling like you were a victim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And what was going on with uh, mom and dad and the relationship and stuff like that?
12: Uh, the relationship was was rocky. Um, And by the time um, I was 15, they had um, separated and quickly divorced.
2: So you grew up in a poor neighborhood, and as opposed to feeling resentful, you felt like you had to go fend for yourself, and mom and dad got divorced. Mm -hmm. Okay. So are you married or single?
12: I'm married 30 years.
2: 30 years. That's interesting. Do you have any partners in the business?
12: Uh, I do have a business partner, yes. Who's
2: your business partner?
12: Um he is actually a quantum physicist <laughs> well
2: actually is this your husband you're talking about no he's
12: the chief scientist
2: uh-huh oh your husband is the chief scientist in the yes. business so you're in business with your husband uh, yes Who you've been married to for 30 years yes yes so what do you think the effect of growing up in a poor neighborhood with parents that got divorced uh near madison wisconsin what's the effect been on you
12: um relationships are very important to mm-hmm. me um lester
3: Yeah, as as an only child, and given the way you just described how growing up uh, was for you, um, what did you learn about yourself back then that
12: you use today? Um, There was definitely a need to find both sort of motivation and validation internally. What do you mean? Uh, um, uh, There weren't many external factors telling me whether I was doing the right thing. I needed to kind of figure that out myself, um, and a lot of persistence you learn because there's a lot of not figuring it out correctly mm-hmm. <laughs> the first time around. So, y- you know, you kind of learn a deep persistence and discipline to keep working at it until you get it right. So
3: how does it show up for you today and her- how you lead the organization?
12: Um, so uh, the organization, so one of the things that's really important to me is we're a very nerdy, researchy organization. But, um, and we come from a lot of different dis- disciplines. Um, physics, uh, engineers, computer scientists. Mm-hmm. And so it's diverse people, but one of the things that really makes things special, that really motivates me, right. um, is, is having a, a healthy working environment where different opinions come to the for- forefront and different people chart their paths differently so really trying to understand them and help mentor them to be the best that they can be it sounds to me like
2: what you're doing for others is what you were looking for yourself as a child yes what do you mean
12: what do i mean um one of the things that like motivates me the the most is just when um like when you help mentor somebody and they kind of overcome things like um Say They're very emotional about stuff, but they find a way to kind of cope with that and get their team to do what needs to be done. And um, then they, uh, you know, either put that to practice in their own lives with their, it with their family. It sounds to me
7: like
2: you really, you're, you're like the mother at work. You're really <laughs> looking to develop everybody. Uh,
12: yes, that gives me a lot of satisfaction. I thought
2: CEOs were blood and guts and it's all about the money, but it doesn't sound to me like that's who you are.
12: Uh, no, I mean, I think there's an important balance that at Apogee we are Didn't very you
2: actually uh, use the quote earlier in the green room that you have each other's backs
12: yes what's that all about yes um, so part of that is is when you have a lot of really different ideas coming to the forefront it's also very important that people respect each other and have each other's backs so that even when you know they quote don't get their way they, they, they still Boy, feel, feel like, like they're like part you're of the, the, the process
6: mother there David <laughs> Engineers and scientists like to solve problems, uh, mm-hmm. both you know, professionally and personally. Wh- when did that start with you?
12: Um, actually, pretty, pretty early. I always wanted to be an architect of, of buildings, actually. But there was no architecture school at, in Madison, so that wasn't happening. Um, so I gravitated to computer system architecture, which is the same thing, and got really into deep problems um, right away. I mean, even as an undergrad, I took a graduate course um, professor was like, "How did you get into this course?" I'm like, "Well, I met the prerequisites." I mean, <laughs> here I am. so. I, I was always just, by my core, really interested in solving hard technical problems, but really applying them also. Tom, yeah, Tiffany, where
4: did w- from mom or dad? Where do you think you got that aptitude and desire to solve the deep technical problems?
12: Um, actually, in a way, it's 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 mixed um, because my dad um, was a uh, uh, got master's degree in history and was Phi Beta Kappa, and so he had. You know, a lot of deep talents. My mom was um, a records manager, and she had an enormous amount of leadership and skills in organizing and understanding people.
4: So, so sort of, yeah, pulling in a little bit of both, organizing systems. Mm-hmm. You th- what we talked about earlier with Herb about having your back—was there a, a mentor, or a friend, or a cousin, or somebody in your youth that that you leaned on? That you needed during that period of time when you were you said earlier you're traveling away from further away from school to get in, yeah. that sort of personified that, that that essence that you've you've now incorporated into
12: your company at Apogee. I, I think for the most part there there really wasn't, and that was part of why even you know with with my wonderful husband and and the relationships yeah. that I built since then, including with my business partner sure, and my best friend. That's one who's of the reasons that the work. Tiffany's
2: so involved with her people is because it's actually healing for her, Fred.
8: So you um, talked about having uh, third employees and having a mentoring role uh, to your employees, but what really makes your relationship special with your employees?
12: Um, For me, um, from a satisfaction standpoint, it's, it's when I see them have an aha. I like to try to identify opportunities for them, lead them there, but give them the reins and watch when they have like, the aha and they say this was, you know, wow, I didn't think I could do this or, you know, learning something about themselves on the soft skills side, you know, gets them to like, this was life changing, you know, now I have better relationships outside of work. I mean, that, that uh-huh. really drives me.
4: So um, I, I, I'm going to assume that you have, your s- turnover is really high, right? Everyone's gone after a year no. and out the door.
12: It's <laughs> a <laughs> tough business though. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and so uh, the defining thread for the company, you work with your husband there. Is there, uh, what's the culture like? What's the environment like for the staff?
12: Um, I think it feels very open and people are really free to express their ideas. There isn't an an academic aspect to it, except that we're also very driven to get results for our Mm -hmm. customers. So Mm -hmm. we check each other constantly and help each other constantly. Tiffany,
2: do you, you have any kids?
12: Uh, yes i have two daughters
2: Uh what's the similarity between being a mom and being the uh it says here you're the founding member of apogee research similarity between being a mom and apogee research
12: um it's almost feels like it's 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 complicated i think uh at least one of my daughters might say a little bit too much (laughs) founding (laughs) member might come into the household but um it's important to be you know a good role model and show the, the the strength with them. Um, that is very uh, important to me. You know, as a, as a woman in a high tech field, uh-huh. uh, both for other women that might want to found a company, but for my daughters, of,
2: of of course. So meaning means a great deal to you. You look for significance and meaning, whatever you're doing, huh? Yes. <laughs>
12: uh huh. Who was
3: your role model for that? Uh, it Was was your mom? <sighs>
12: yeah I mean, I think it kind of built up m- more from relationships with my husband and relationships l- later. Um, my mom passed pretty early um, at a young age, uh, but there was definitely
2: How young were you when mom passed?
12: Um, well, it was early graduate school, so young 20s.
2: What do you think the eff- what, t- what was the effect of that on you
12: um, it was It was tough for both my husband and myself. We both lost a a parent you know they each died at 58 different years wow. but that was early in our in our lives so um, support structures are yeah really important.
2: important what's the website address for apogee research
12: it is apogee-research.com
2: we've been speaking with tiffany frazier founding member of apogee research here on executive leaders radio uh Les, will you please give us a rundown on who we've had the opportunity to speaking with we
3: had alan pence ceo of corner alliance we had Fred Ostivar, Managing Partner at Nova Advertising. We had Chad Vossen, Co-Founder and Chief Creative Officer at 522 Productions. And Tiffany Fraser, Founding Member of Apogee Research. I'd like to
2: thank my co-hosts, David Kuzman, Praturi Law, Tom McBride, Cressa, Fred Ostivar at Nova Advertising, and even Les Smolin, Vistage. For giving me a hand, structuring the questions, hope of providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget visit our website is executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, that's executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders. Thank you for joining us today. Do have a nice day.
1: Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.
7: I'm getting older. Do I need to worry about falling?
0: Yes, you do. Every year, one in four people 65 and older will experience a fall. And many result in serious injury. The majority of falls happen at home. So take a look around. Replace bulbs and add lighting to help you see obstacles. Remove things that can make you trip. Fix uneven steps and floors. And install handrails in bathrooms and on stairs. Consider balance or strength training exercises, which can help with agility. Get your eyes and hearing checked regularly. Changes in your hearing can affect your balance. To learn more, please talk to your doctor about steps you can take to help prevent a fall. You can also visit aarpfoundation.org or medicaremadeclear.com/falls. This message was brought to you by United Healthcare and AARP Foundation.